0: We'll take it and, and turn to that passage that was just read in First John. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles for you on the round table. You can get up now and grab one. If you don't know where First John is, that's okay. We all start somewhere. There's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. And also, if you have one of the Bibles on the round table, in our bulletins, gives you the, uh, the page number. Well, we are in a series, uh, in the midst of a series on the book of First John. Uh, and uh, we're right there in the middle of chapter one. As uh, As we look to God now to teach us from his word, we do look to him to teach us from his word. Let me pray for us. And God, we do continue to pray that you would send out the light of your truth. And that through the priest's word, you would lead us into your very presence. That your radiant goodness might shine upon us. And that we might be transformed. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, it was my first semester to teach at Westmont College, and a student came up to me after a class and said, yeah, I've worshipped at your church before and interested about her experience. I said, oh, well, um, how'd you find it? Was it unlike churches you had been, grown up in, and uh, what'd you think? Um, And she said, well, to be quite honest, I I really, uh, I couldn't worship. I said, Oh. She said, it was, it was really bright in there. I said, oh, suppose it is bright in here. She said, I can't worship unless the room is pitch black dark. I said, okay. It's interesting the way different people experience worship spaces and decor and all that. I think if I were to rate... Uh, you know, if we were to rate, if I were to rate um, most aesthetically pleasing worship spaces to the least aesthetically pleasing, uh, the most attractive to the most unattractive, uh, I think many of us would say that um, the the worship space that we find least attractive and least helpful for worship, I think many would say this. I would. I'll just say, is, uh, is the, the the worship spaces that the Puritans erected, right? White walls, empty rooms, no decor. And You know, if you were to ask a Puritan, if we were to go back in time and say, why did, you, why did you build such empty buildings and empty spaces for worship? They would have, I think, looked at us quite confused. They would have said, what do you mean, empty? You see, the Puritans were the direct, descendants of John Calvin, the French reformer. And Calvin, he said that that there is no greater symbol to depict God than the symbol of light. Because Calvin said that light is incircumscribable. That is, you can't put a circle around it. It keeps going out and out and out. And it's not clear where it ends because it really doesn't end in many respects. And so he says that light, more than anything else, uh, it is the best symbol we have for the infinitude of God, the fact that God is infinite. And so to a Puritan, their worship spaces were not empty. They were full, chock full Not of statues and decorations, but of light. And hence, God. In verse 5, John says that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. That God is light. It's a metaphor that we see throughout the Bible. Psalm uh, 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 104, 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light. as a garment. God is light, and his presence radiates light. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. In your light do we see light. God is light and his presence illumines the way. Psalm 43, send out your light and your truth as we just sang. Let them lead me. Second Samuel 22, for you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. God is light and his presence is salvation. Micah 7, 8, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication or his salvation. God is light. And so I suppose I don't take too much offense if someone tells me that it's bright in here. Because My hope is that this place is full, full of light, full of the presence of God. This is the message that we have heard from him, that God is light. That's kind of interesting if you think about it. Why does John say that we heard it from him? He doesn't say that he got this message from the Old Testament Scriptures, although John is clearly steeped in the Old Testament Scriptures. And we have just read that throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, the Jewish Scriptures say that God is light. So why does he say that we learn this message from him? That's a little confusing, is it not? When I was in high school, I played football. I do not lie. And one night, we had to play the number three team in the nation, Brentwood Academy. It, Brentwood Academy was so good because they recruited players from all over, and actually their recruitment of players from all over ended up, uh, ended up going, there was a case that went to the Supreme Court about them. But um, that hadn't all been settled, and so I just had to play a bunch of D1 football players, I had seen the stats on Brentwood Academy. Uh, They were 220, 250, even 270-pound players. You know, and you look at this and you're just like, wow, those numbers are crazy. I had seen the film on Brentwood Academy. I had watched the game film. But nothing prepared me for standing out on a Friday night in the cool fall And watching them run onto the field. Nothing prepared me for listening to their pads hit. Nothing prepared me for the size of these giants. Nothing prepared me for trying to block future Super Bowl champion and Green Bay Packers center Scott Wells. (laughs) Nothing (laughs) prepared me for that. You see, I knew Brentwood Academy. I had read all about Brentwood Academy. I had seen the game film of Brentwood Academy, but it was a whole different thing to actually touch and see and try to tackle (laughs) members of Brentwood Academy. Well, in the same way, God's people, they knew. They knew that God was light, But they didn't know what it meant that God was light in his ethical perfection until they saw Jesus love God and love others the way he did. They didn't know what it meant that God was light and that he clears confusion and makes sense of the world until they started following the call of Jesus who said, Come follow me. They didn't know what it meant that God was light and that light brings salvation, a path to eternal life until, until one dark midday on a Friday afternoon, they went to a hill outside Jerusalem and then they said, that's what it means, that God is light That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. John heard this from him, from the one who, verse 1, they saw with their eyes and they handled and they touched and they heard with their ears and they looked upon. And so, Matthew will say that the people who were Sitting in darkness, have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So let me ask you this morning. We're coming from very different places. Maybe some of you are coming in here confused. Are you confused? About life? Are you confused about your purpose? Are you confused about things that have happened in life that don't make a lot of sense? There is a light. Maybe you're in here and you're uncertain. You're uncertain whether God loves you or he is for you or even if there's a God at all. There is a light. Some of you are in here this morning and you're hiding and you know it. There are things about you and things about your past and things about your current behavior that no one knows. You have a secret. And you wonder, will you ever be found out? And you kind of want to be found out, but you don't want to be found out. There is a light. Some of you were here this morning and you were hoping. You're just looking for a glimmer of hope because you feel like you were in a dark, dark cave. And you're just looking for a pinprick of light. There is a light. The light shines in the darkness. The Gospel of John tells us. And the darkness could not, does not, will not overcome it. What do you need this morning? We all come in here with needs. What do you think you need? John's message is not first and foremost, to tell us something to do. John's message, first and foremost, is not even to tell us what to think. John's message, first and foremost, is to give us a vision of God. This is the message that we have heard and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And John, he wants us to live in that light. Look in verses six and seven. If we Say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness. We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. John wants us to live in the light. Are you living in the light? What would it even look like? How do you know? Well, consider what the light does. The first thing that we learn about the light is that the light actually exposes sin In verses 8 and 10, we hear these two voices. One voice is the voice of someone who has an authentic relationship with God. That's the voice of verse 9. 9, 9. We'll get to that in a second. But there's another voice, and that is the voice of someone who does not have an authentic relationship with God. That's the voice of someone in verses 8 and verse 10. And, And that voice is a voice that says, I have no sin. That denies sin. Yesterday I was, um, I was in the gym and I was exercising and I was listening to one of those wonderful curated playlists by Apple Music. And as I was listening to it, uh, uh, an oldie but a goodie, or not really a goodie, by Christina Aguilera came up. Um, which was really motivating for me because she began to sing to me as I was exercising, You're beautiful, you're beautiful, no matter what they say you're beautiful. You're beautiful in every single way. Words can't bring me down. And at that point, I thought, I don't need to work out anymore. (laughs) It's highly motivating. I'm so glad that they put that on their workout mix, you know? It's like, I just wish I had come the first song and not like the fifth song. But at that point, I knew I was done. You're beautiful in every single way. Words can't bring me down. Uh, you know, we all have, um, we all have uh, expectations of ourselves, that we're going to be a certain kind of parent, a certain kind of citizen, that we're going to live uh, according to a certain kind of standard. And the question is, is that what happens when the reality of our, our lives do not meet the expectations that we have about ourselves? That's what happens. W- what happens then? Because it does happen. What happens when you do those things and you're like, I cannot believe I did that? What happens when you're, you're like, I can't believe, I can't shake this attitude, the anger, the self-loathing, the pride? What happens then? Well, there are a couple of options. And one of the options I think that we do is that we deny it. I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful in every single way. Words can't bring me down. Why do you say that over and over to yourself? Because you know you're not beautiful. John writes in verse 8, he calls that what it is, denial. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. It was a gorgeous spring day, and it was finally shorts weather on the plains of Alabama, I had just walked out of one of my freshman classes in 2000. You can date me. Uh, not like date me, but you got it. <laughs> I walk out of, uh, onto the Haley Concourse, and I'm sitting there, and the sun is shining. The uh, air is cool. The sun is warm. You know what I'm talking about. And I close my eyes, and I just felt the sun on my face. And then as I'm sitting there feeling the sun on my face, I hear it. Whore! Sinner, how dare you wear shorts that short? Well, those of you who know me and know the length of my shorts can understand why I thought that the man was talking to me. (laughs) And so I went and I spoke to uh, the preacher. Sinner, he called out to the girls as they walked on the concourse. And I asked him, I said, do do you not have sin? And he said, no. 21 years ago, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since then, I have no sin. John calls that what it is. Self-deception. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And we're not just deceiving ourselves, we're actually also making God out to be a liar. Look in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We make God a liar because throughout Scripture, we read that we have a problem as humans. And our problem, our deep problem, is a sin problem. Genesis five uh, six verse five and the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil, only evil all the time. Or we get to Romans chapter three, and Paul summarizes, for we have already charged that all are under the power of sin. As it is written, no, no one is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is the witness of God's word, and we say, but I don't feel like that. I don't feel like I don't do good. I don't feel like that, but the reason why I think we don't feel like that is because we... We spend most of our lives, let's be honest, we don't say this, but we spend most of our lives comparing ourselves to other people. When we compare ourselves to other people, we can always find people who we think don't meet our standards as good as we meet them. And it makes us feel better about ourselves, and we say, I'm not that bad. It's why we watch reality TV, and Insight, so that we can feel better about those people. But, you know, those people are not the standard. The standard is God and God's light. And God's light exposes our sin. Especially when we look at where God's light shines the brightest. Against a dark sky... Midday on a Friday afternoon, when Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross, you see there God says, do you want to know how bad and heinous and wicked your sin is? Don't compare yourself to other people. Look what I had to do to take care of it. And it wasn't simply a death, it was the most shameful and humiliating death that one could imagine. Death on a cross, the death of a criminal, death of one who is dehumanized and naked. That death is the death that exposes our sin. You see, when we deny our sin, we make God a liar, not simply because we deny what his word says about our sin, but when we deny our sin, we make God a liar because we say, the cross really wasn't necessary. And when, when you sent your son to die on it, that really wasn't necessary. That really wasn't what was needed, you see, because the cross, it reveals more than anything else the sinfulness of humanity. It is a revelation. This is the revelation of human sin, and it exposes how dark we really are. When I was in seminary for a summer, we uh, roommate and I we got to live in a place that we like to call the Pink Palace. It was a pink house that was very dainty, with lots of drawings on the wall that were and lots of dolls everywhere that were kind of scary. I'm not going to lie. So we kept the place pretty dark, and we usually went, uh, got home because we were busy seminary students. We usually got home at night. Uh, We would watch Letterman or whatever together, uh, and it was dark, and that's how it was. And it was all good, except for one Saturday morning when we were there drinking coffee in the morning, and we decided to open up. The, um, the blinds on the screen door. So we open up the blinds on the screen door, and we look around us, and all of a sudden, it was horrid. So I don't think this place had been cleaned, and I don't know how long. We're not talking dust bunnies. We're talking like dust dinosaurs, right? It was like... Uh, we didn't realize, we had been living there for a couple weeks, we did not realize that we were sitting in, in filth. At that point, you're kind of going, I'm not sure if I want to drink my coffee anymore because it's been contaminated already, right? Uh, but we didn't realize it, we didn't know until we actually opened up the curtains. And then it became clear, the light shone in, and you've had that experience too, right? When the light shines in on the spring day and you're like, ooh, yeah, should have cleaned that. And if you can't clean it at that time, what do you do? You shut the shades really fast. Right? That's what we did. Uh, but uh, but the reality is is that it took the light shining into the room before we realized how how dirty, how filthy it was. And it takes the light of God's son shining into the world before we realize how much how dirty, how filthy, how much we live in the darkness. See, here's the question that John gets us to ask. He is pitting these two voices against one another, and he says that if we deny our sin, then we actually don't have a relationship with God. We're not living in the light. So are you living in the light? Well, here's the question. Do you deny your sin? What would that even look like? I think one of the things that it looks like is it looks like how do you view yourself in the midst of conflict. Now, sometimes in conflict, there are times when your character, your character is being falsely uh, impugned. And you should defend that. But the question is, is do we say, I've done nothing wrong and I couldn't have done anything wrong. I've done nothing wrong in the way I've responded to the difficult circumstances that I've faced in this person. I've done nothing wrong in how I've thought about this and said I am a righteous friend, I am a righteous husband, I am a righteous father, I am a righteous child. And I have no sin. It's a denial. It's not living in the light see, the light calls us to be honest about ourselves, our propensities and dispositions and motivations. But the light also allows us to be honest about ourselves. Which brings us to the second point, that the light not only uh, exposes sin, but the light also reveals the solution. I mean, when the morning light shines into the dirty room, what do you do? Well, what what two mid-20-year-old seminarians do is we called the cleaners. And verse 9, God is calling us to call the cleaners. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, here's that other voice. It's not one that confesses, I do not sin. It's one that confesses, I do sin. I do have sin, and I am confessing that now. A relationship with God throughout the Bible is always one that is marked by confession of sin. Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave my iniquity. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, it's kind of an... It- An interesting thing though, if you think about it, it's counterintuitive because you wouldn't think that one who claimed to have a relationship with God would be one who confessed sin. You'd think that it would be the other way around. You would think that to confess verse 6, that we have fellowship with God, you would also have to say verses 8 and 10. We have no sin because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we need to say that if we live in the light, that we don't have sin either. Actually, there's a certain rationale to it. There's a certain logic to it. And it makes a lot of sense. It's the logic that most people use when they approach God in our society. It's what I would call the common religious approach to God. If I'm going to approach God, then I have to be perfect. Because God is perfect. And therefore, I have to meet some kind of standard, right? It's a, great, it, it, it's a logic that makes perfect sense, except for one thing. It's a logic without Jesus, It's a logic without Jesus. Because if you don't have Jesus, then you can't can't approach a holy God and recognize your sin. But you see, the solution to be able to be free to acknowledge your sin is right there in verse 7. Look at the end of it. It's knowing that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And therefore... John reminds his readers that we confess our sin precisely because we know that he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, when you are rooted in the assurance that Jesus' blood takes away your sin, that confession of sin is something that you can do because you can look at yourself honestly and say, you know what? I can be honest about myself and my sin because there is a solution. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. uh, For some of us in here, the thing that is hindering us from a deep and intimate relationship with God, from fellowship, with God and with one another, is not our badness, but our perceptions of our goodness. As John Gerstner fa- famously put it, the main thing between you and God is not so much your sins, it's your damnable good works. Flannery O'Connor had a character in her novel Wise Blood. His name was Hazel Moats, and she said there was a deep dark sinister way about him that he believed that the way to keep away from Jesus was to or keep away from sin was to, um, or to keep away from Jesus was to keep away from sin. That, that is that, that we don't acknowledge our sin. We don't look at our sin. We shut the curtain because that way, um, that way we don't have need of a savior and we lose intimacy with God. Here's what this means. If you're denying your sin, it means that you actually don't really know Jesus or don't know Him enough. You aren't rooted enough in the assurance of the power of His cross. See, Jesus and the power of His cross and the finished work of Christ, it allows you the freedom to say, you know what? I'm not okay. I'm not beautiful in every single way. But there is one who is. And in relationship with him, he is sharing his beauty with me. And actually, that, that to be intimate in relationship with him, I have to be honest. Because any, any relationship that you have, uh, if you don't have honesty, it doesn't go very far. Intimacy is fueled by honesty. Honesty. And so we confess our sin even though God knows our sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus allows you the ability to look at your sin and to be honest about it and to go before God. Jesus also allows you the ability to go get help. Some of you in this room this morning are struggling. And nobody knows about it. You were caught in addiction. You have a marriage that is suffering and you're struggling through. You have made some really unwise financial decisions and you're in trouble. You blew your first exams because you played too much PlayStation or spent too much time on Snapchat. And you you're wondering what's going to happen. When are my parents going to find out? When is my spouse going to find out? When is the community going to find out? But there are resources and you don't go to them because you can't be honest with yourself and with others because you think that in order to have fellowship with God and other people, you've got to say you have not no sin. Don't you see that the fact that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, frees us, and enables us to go forward and to say, hey, I'm in trouble. And a lot of it is things that I've brought upon myself. I need help. Help me. That's what, that's what the solution allows us to do. That's what the light allows us to do. The light shows us that at the cross there is a solution the light it not only exposes our sin and it not only reveals the solution, but finally God's light also reflects God's love. Look in verses six through eight or six and seven. John writes, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. God is light, John says, and we cannot dwell in darkness when we walk in the light. Why? Because light reflects. Light is reflective. And God's light will reflect off of you. God's character will reflect off of you when you live in communion and presence with Him. And it's not just simply that the light reflects off you that that is true. I mean, John goes further. He said, His word is not in you. What is His word? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen its glory. His truth is not in you. I am the way and the truth in life. John is talking about intimate union with Christ. And, and he says that, that in that place the, the, if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous. He is righteous. That's the term uh, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When his Righteousness meets our unrighteousness. What happens is we are transformed because of union with Christ. And so we reflect his character. We don't walk in the darkness. There is actually change that happens, John is saying. But he goes on to say that we walk in the light as he's in the light and we have fellowship with one another. Why does John say that we have fellowship with one another? Well, I think the clue is actually in chapter 4, when John does the other, God is. God is light, chapter 1. In chapter 4, he says, God is love. And that anyone who does not love God does not know God, precisely because God is love. And God's love reflects off of you. God is light because God is love. And God's love, you receive God's love, well, that spills out into loving others. You know, there are a lot of things that Christians are identified with today. And there are a lot of things that Christians use to identify themselves. There are lots of ethical things that Christians use to identify themselves. Uh, there, Christians identify themselves and are identified with a certain sexual ethic. Christians identify themselves and are identified by um, uh, certain uh, views of marriage and divorce. Christians identify themselves and are identified with um, all kinds of things. Uh, Nurturing the life of the unborn. But I think that something has gone drastically wrong in all of this. And it's this. That we have divorced these things from the fundamental calling of Christians and the thing that should identify us most and what all these things need to be attached to and grounded in and that is love. Love. We are committed to a certain sexual ethic because of love of God and of neighbor. We are committed to using our bodies in certain ways because of love and for other people to treat their bodies in certain ways because of love. We are committed to Protecting and nurturing the life of the unborn because of love. We are also committed to protecting and nurturing the vulnerable young woman because of love. And we act, we get involved in the political process because of love. That's why. That should drive us. Not power, not rights. And not fear, because perfect love drives out all fear. But we do it because of love. And because God is love and God is light and God's light shines on us. His love shines in us and as we receive his love, we love others. So we need to be people who love. What if that's what we were known for most of all? At the bedrock of it all, those people love and care. That they are driven by love and not fear and not power. 1 Corinthians 13.2, if I have not love, I am nothing. 1 Corinthians 13.3, if I have not love, I gain nothing. The love of Christ compels us, Paul says. Well, how would we even make that possible? How would that be possible of us? How could it be that the love of Christ is the thing that compelled us, that we walked in the light of God's love and it spilled out? Well, we love because he first loved us. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his only son as a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, I am convinced that the only way that people love well is that they have received love well and learned to receive love well, first and foremost. And so if we're going to love, then we have to start learning to be loved, to be loved by God, to know we're loved by God. Well, how can we do that? By letting the light shine the dark, onto the darkness of our sin and looking at our sin and then look, letting the light shine onto the cross of Christ and saying, God loved me. In this, the love of God was demonstrated. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And with courage and fierce abandon, we open up our hearts and we look in and we look into the darkness and then we look at the cross and we become more and more convinced of the depths of God's love for us. And then we will love others and live in that love. I mentioned earlier, some of you uh, maybe missed it, but there's an announcement that we lost uh, a valued, valued member of our community, Margaret Duffield, this week. And um, I got to see her on Tuesday uh, morning, and she was still responding to people then. And she recognized me because I call her Miss Margaret. And she rec- she said, Southern, it's Kyle. And I got to pray with her. And it was really sweet, a happy providence that the Lord brought me there. And it was also a happy providence to see her peace in her smile. And the fact that it was really clear that she was a person who knew that she was loved. About noon that day, she stopped actually responding to people Joyce and her sisters were there, and they'd sing with her. They would uh, hum. And later that night, they sang Jesus Loves Me. And they got around to the chorus the last time. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And each time they got around to yes, Jesus loves me, Margaret said with them, yes. 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 That is a picture of someone who has lived in the love of God and they know they are loved. That's what I want to be. That's what we need to be. We need to live in the light of God's love to receive that love so it reflects off us in everything that we do. Let me pray. God, I do pray that you would send out your light and your love That we would receive it. That it would transform us. That it would reflect off of us. And that the world might know that you are love. Because we love one another. And we love the world as you love the world. In Jesus' name, amen.